0: a delight to be able to um, speak to you about depression. And what I want to do first, though, is ask you why you're here. It's a rhetorical question, but just ask yourself that question. Why are you here? Maybe you know someone who suffers from depression and you want to help them. My prayer is that you uh, will be a little less fearful and a little more equipped to reach out and to enter into their world, their experience, and be able to provide a ray of hope to your friend or family member. Maybe you're here because you think you suffer from depression, but you're not too sure about that. My prayer for you is that you would have a little more clarity, not only on what depression is and is not, but also what lies beneath uh, the surface of this thing that we call depression. And then perhaps you're one of those who has battled depression yourself for years and years, and this is your last-ditch attempt to get some help or to see where help can be found. And for you, my prayer is that the clouds of depression will part sufficiently for some light to shine through your darkness and for something, however small, to resonate with you this morning. Or you're someone who's been dragged here kicking and screaming because somebody else wants to um, help you uh, with your depression, and I pray that you will not leave here untouched by the love of God in Christ Jesus, and that you will know the power of God's Spirit and His Word to give you courage and hope to wage war against this thing we call depression. And then lastly, all of you are here because there's been a big group of people praying that the Lord would draw each person here who is here today and that you would respond to the invitation to be here. Before we get started and go any further, um, I want to have you just pair up at your tables. You're literally going to have two minutes, you're not going to have too much time, two or three minutes to ask and answer these two questions. So, the first one is How would you define or describe depression? And the second, What do you think causes depression? So, pair up, it's easier than everybody gets a chance to chat, or if If it's an odd number, you can be three, Um, but just very quickly, literally two or three minutes if you would ask and answer those two questions among yourselves. Okay, wrap up your last words on that. All right, hold on to what you discussed. Um, We don't have enough time um, for me to hear back from each of the tables, although I would dearly love to do that. But just hold on to your discussions and just let's see what you think uh, when the talk is finished. Does any of that shift? Um, Yeah. So I want to start off by introducing you to two very dear friends of mine. The first one was born with a lifelong, life-threatening illness. At the age of eight, he asked his mother, what's going to happen to me when I die? His father is an engineer, a very intelligent man, Um, quite controlling and strict, and so when he came home from work, what he said went. And my friend never really felt that he could measure up to his father's expectations of what a son should be. He missed a lot of um, school due to his illness. He had to catch up time and time again with work. He was bullied and ostracized and had very few, if any, friends. He loved playing tennis Uh, But eventually he had to give that up too, uh, because his ill health just wouldn't allow him to continue playing. Every day was a battle to breathe and live. He swallowed a handful of tablets with every meal to help him digest his food, and he lived with permanent lung infections his entire life. Imagine that, having pneumonia your entire life effectively. Pain was a constant friend and isolation from people a regular and necessary occurrence. He eventually managed to go to university and study at the University of Port Elizabeth. He wanted to become a marine biologist. But those dreams were shattered when he was flown back to Cape Town on an emergency flight and told that he couldn't return to continue his studies. By the time he was uh, 30 years old, Uh, He had faced imminent and potential death more than five times. Many of his friends with the same condition had given up the fight uh, in their teen years or early adulthood, preferring to die rather than to continue battling ill health with this condition. They knew that they would simply never get healthy. They just stopped caring and stopped taking the medication that was sustaining their lives. As my friend got older, new and additional health conditions manifested. And when he was 43 years old, he was seriously ill and death was knocking at his door again. He was in hospital the one day when he phoned me and he said, Jane, please come. Please come now because I feel like I'm losing touch with reality. Like I'm losing my mind. I need you to come to know what is real and what is not. This friend of mine had many reasons to spiral down into a pit of despair and hopelessness. Let me introduce you to another friend. He was conceived out of wedlock and was born into a very poor family. He is not South African and the country where he was born was being ruled by a foreign dictator and the family had to flee to keep their lives, uh, to be able to keep their lives to another country and for several years before they were able to return home. My friends, brothers and sisters did not accept him. He didn't really fit in. He didn't really belong. He was rejected by those who knew him best and there were times when his family and others, I might add, thought that he was mad. He is very intelligent and wise, but he sees things differently to most people, and he says things that shock people often. People either love him or hate him. He has many enemies, especially amongst political and religious leaders. He has been misunderstood, falsely accused, mistreated, belittled, and endured a lot of emotional and physical pain, like my other friend. Many times when his life was in danger, he had to leave and go somewhere else. At the age of 33, he faced imminent death and cried out for help. This friend of mine also had many reasons to spiral down into a state of despair and hopelessness. But how about you? What's your story? What is your reality? We live in a digital age now, don't we? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Check our Facebook page to see how many likes you've got. Are you an influencer? Right? And cyberbullying is not uncommon um, these days. We spend hour upon hour watching, um, playing video games and on the computer, on the internet. And let's face it, that kind of makes us socially inept in some ways, right? We find it harder to relate to people face-to-face. It's easy enough to say something on Facebook, but to say that to somebody else's face is difficult. And so we deal with extreme anxiety. And with the cyberbullying, we don't like to be rejected, right? That's hard. If you're under the age of 25, I think there are quite a few people in that category here, maybe even if you're over the age of 25, but especially when you're under the age of 25, self-image is a big thing. Finding your sense of identity and belonging, belonging whether it's an in-group or an out-group. That is what drives your thoughts, your emotions, and your actions, your choices. And then we've just come through the COVID-19 pandemic. We're still sort of on the out of that. Fear of illness and death is a big thing. Uh, it's probably one of the greatest fears every single one of us face or will face at some point. We were forced into long periods of, of isolation and social distancing. Um, and for some people who are more introverted, they thought that was a nice thing. But let me tell you that those who have been in, um, in uh, prison and have been in, in lock-up, in solitary confinement, they say that that is a worse punishment than physical pain, than being brutally um, and physically beaten. Maybe you have faced abuse in your family, or divorce has made its mark on you. Perhaps someone you love has died. Or maybe you actually come from a very normal family, and you should have every reason to be happy, but you're not. You find yourself in a pit of despair. Your soul is full of troubles, and you have no strength. You feel like like a person who is dead among the living. You're in the depths of the pit and in the dark regions uh, of the deep. You feel overwhelmed and are unable to make decisions. You question God, and you wonder, what is the point of life? Why live? Pleasure? What's that, you say? and darkness has become your best friend. You've done everything you can possibly think of to fix your depression, and you've also done all you can to numb the pain. Perhaps you've turned to drugs or alcohol to numb it. Or you inflict pain on yourself just to be able to feel something you've started cutting. Perhaps you've tried medication and it's helped to alleviate some of the symptoms but you still feel unmotivated, and you certainly do not feel any joy and delight. You feel hopeless. How then do we deal with this thing we call depression? I wanna suggest to you that the first thing is that we need to treat root causes and not merely symptoms. Root causes and not just symptoms. Let me give you an example. I struggled for many years with chronic headaches, three or four headaches a week. I would take headache tablets. Uh, I would take sometimes six tablets in a day. Eventually it would kind of make a dent and it would go away, but a day or two later they would come back. I assumed that they were muscular-related because I've got fused vertebrae in my, in my neck from birth and I've got some other issues with my arms and my hands that... I thought, okay, well, that's the cause. So I went to physiotherapy for about three or four years every couple of weeks. It's a lot of money, a lot of uh, time spent trying to treat something. Turned out that the cause of my headaches was caffeine. Coffee, tea, Coke, chocolate. I love chocolate. Um, yeah, so typically we want to treat depression Like it's a thing in and of itself. But depression, I would suggest, is a symptom or a manifestation of something that's a deeper problem, something else that's going on. And if we want to treat depression, we have to treat the root cause. And so, in order to do that, we need to have a right understanding of what depression is and what it is not. But to be able to take you there, I just want to unpack a little bit how we function and and who we are as people. So two people can be exposed to the same trauma, or the same kind of circumstances. Two people in one family, for instance, can have the same kind of upbringing, same difficulties, but one suffers with depression and the other one not. Why? I want to suggest that we are responders, interpreters, believers, and worshipers. What do I mean by that? We are always responding to the world around us. We are always interpreting and making meaning and seeking to understand things. You're doing that right now. You're processing everything that I'm saying, and you're filtering it through everything that you've been through and the way that you think. We ask why questions. Anyone got a two-year-old or a three-year-old, you'll know all about that. We want to understand the purpose and the reason uh, why we've been placed on this planet we call Earth. And we especially ask why questions when life is hard and those questions inevitably lead us to ask questions about God. When we are suffering, and depression is a form of suffering, when we are suffering, we begin to doubt God's presence, his promises, and his power. We doubt his word and his goodness and his willingness and ability to intervene and to help us. From there, we spiral down into despair and distance ourselves from God and others. And if we're Christians, it's not that we don't believe in God, but that we don't believe that he cares enough or that he has anything to do or say about our depression. As interpreters, we are also believers. We either believe the words we're told or we disbelieve them, whether it's the words of God or the words of another. And as worshippers, we're either loving or hating something. We think we can fall in between with indifference. But if you're not loving, if you're you're not loving, if you're indifferent, you're actually not really loving, are you? And so we fall, even when we fall in between, we are always worshippers. We're loving or hating. In order to understand depression, we also need to understand the way that we've been made. As people are as people we are physical right all of us can pinch our skin you know kind of we we're, we're very physical we have flesh and bone and as you heard with my first friend uh, we can be born with a condition where parts of our physicality are broken but we've been created by a God as well and we are spiritual we have a soul or a spirit we're not merely matter we are physically embodied souls, if you like. And I say that as one unity, not as two separate things. We're, not, we're, we're, we're physically embodied souls. We are created beings, and we've been made in the likeness and image of, a, of the God who made us. And that means that any understanding of the causes of depression has to be more than merely physiological. Physiological. We need the physiological, but it's not merely physiological. Any understanding we have has to include the revealed knowledge of the one who created us, who knows us better than, than we do, how we function, and what his purposes are for us. He knows those. And then we also need to get a bit of an understanding on this thing we call emotions as well. Guilt, fear, shame sorrow, fantasy. These are struggles of the human heart. Depression is often uh, experienced as a lack of feeling and motivation. This could stem at least in part from the suppression of emotions. Our emotions have been given to us by God to tell us how we're doing, how we're functioning. They function like a barometer in fact, our emotions reveal our hearts. They help us to connect to others when we share our deepest, um, our deepest thoughts and feelings with someone that we trust, but they can also disconnect us from people when we respond in relationally destructive ways too. The Bible in Matthew 15 says, Out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery. And emotions are meant to uh, motivate us and to move us. They give us energy uh, to do things. And if we ignore them long enough, they'll switch off, we'll become numb. It's like a nagging child. If the child nags uh, long enough um, and you continue to ignore them, they will stop nagging eventually, right? So either they kind of numb out or if you ignore them long enough, they might start shouting louder and louder at you. That uh, fear, that anxiety just gets worse and worse until you're completely overwhelmed and you have a system crash. It's too much to deal with, it, with all of it, and so let's not deal with any of it. And so we crash Buried underneath the experience of depression is a whole host of different emotions and thoughts and desires and fears that are part of how we see and interpret the world we live in, how we understand God, and how we understand ourselves and others. We very easily think that the fact that I have an illness causes my depression. The fact that I don't have a thumb on my left hand is good reason for me to be depressed. Or it's a cause. But the hard knocks of life, they expose what's going on in our hearts. That's going on in our hearts already. They expose where and in whom we put our trust, our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our worship. The hard knocks of life are not determinative. Don't get me wrong, those other things matter. They influence us, they impact us. But we have to pay attention to what is going on below the ground, the roots, below all of what we, the symptoms and the the experience of depression. We have to be able to engage the specific feelings of anger, fears, disappointments, and all the beliefs, many of them false beliefs that will come out with that um, as we we deal with depression. And so I'd like to suggest that depression is telling us something about ourselves, about God and about the world. In his book on, um, on depression entitled Looking Up from the Stubborn Darkness, Ed Welsh, and the book is at the table at the back, he suggests that we reframe depression as suffering. We are living in a broken world that is filled with suffering, and depression is a part of the brokenness. And God can speak to us in and through our depression. In fact, C.S. Lewis, many of you will know him in terms of the, the book The Chronicles of Narnia, if you've seen the movie. He he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So we need to to listen to what it is that's going on underneath the surface and and, um, hear what our depression is saying about the way that we view the world. One other thing I want to say um, is that we can get depressed about being depressed. Have you thought about that? I have a family member who's struggled with depression for 30 years. 30 years, and it's not lifted. One of my struggles is anxiety. When I'm very anxious, I don't sleep. I can't fall asleep or I wake up and I can't fall asleep again. And when I'm lying there at night, I can get anxious because I'm not sleeping. So I get anxious about being anxious because what, how am I going to function the next day, right? And the more anxious I get while I'm awake, the worse it gets. And it's just a spiral. It's, it's a cycle that's difficult to break. And the same with depression. Depression. And if you've had depression for many years, you can wear depression like a garment. It can become part of your identity. And sometimes it's helpful to have diagnoses, because if you've got a diagnosis, there's probably a cure. But sometimes a diagnosis becomes part of your identity. And that's when it's not helpful hope is risky it requires trust and faith if anxiety is a big part of your depression it may be better in your mind to be depressed than to risk hope perhaps we fear being disappointed again and hurt again and sinned against and so all those thoughts will continue to feed the depression we can easily just spiral down and down and down, and those doubts can slip into despair. We isolate and distance ourselves. The more we isolate, the worse depression will get. Depression is a lonely place, right? It can be very dark and lonely. And it is also very self-focused, very self-oriented. Even, even if the initial part of depression isn't because of your selfish desires or your self-focus, your self-orientation. It will become like that. If I took a hammer and hit Simon's toe, do you think he would be thinking about his head or his arm? All his attention is gonna be on that toe, right? And that's what happens with depression. It just narrows our world right down to our suffering and to our struggle. And in Ed Welsh's book, he talks about in the title, looking up from the stubborn darkness. Looking up. We have to look up and outwards for hope. We cannot get ourselves out of the pit if the pit is very deep, right? We're going to need help. And so in order to have a right understanding of depression, we also have to be willing to engage the God who created us Whether we acknowledge it or not, and there may be some among you who who do not, God exists. I have a family member, and she treats me as if I don't exist. She hasn't spoken to me in many years. Does her denial of my existence change the fact of my existence? No. Are we in a relationship? Yes. Yes. Might not be a very functional relationship, but it is nevertheless a relationship. She certainly doesn't love me. It's probably more accurate to say that she actually hates me, but that doesn't change the fact that we are family. So too with God. Because He created us, we are either in a relationship of love and worship. Or one of, at minimum, indifference, which you think is kind of, well, I don't hate him, um, but it's still not love, but possibly you hate him and want nothing to do with him. We are either his friend or his enemy. We either have faith or we don't. Everything we do is an expression of our relationship with him. It's a response to him and to the world around us and the circumstances in which he has placed us. And so we can know him. We can know him through what what is called general revelation. So the world of science and medicine investigates uh, what is, what we can see. um, But we can also know him and should know him through special revelation, He has revealed himself in his written word and in the word made flesh in his son Jesus Christ and he has given his spirit. As created beings, we are dependent not only on God's general revelation but also upon his special revelation for understanding ourselves and the struggles that we deal with, including depression. We've been created by a relational God for relationship with him and with one another. But we live, as all of us will testify to, uh, whether you know Christ or not, we live in a fallen and broken world, filled with suffering. You just have to watch three minutes of CNN or Sky News or the local news to know that. All of our brokenness and suffering that we experience in this world, remember depression is a form of suffering, is a consequence Of our rebellion against god and his word depression is no different guilt shame fear anger desire for the things that we don't have that we think god hasn't given us sorrow they all enter into the human experience with adam and eve's sin in the garden these emotions together with broken relationships between god and man are the ingredients uh, of what we call depression. The heart of the problem is unbelief and a relationship with God that is skewed. Now, I must just say, you're probably thinking, well, hey, Jane, I'm a believer and I'm still struggling with, un- with, with, um, with depression, right? But we are, we are still living as believers. We live in this broken world and we are still having to grapple with and deal with the brokenness that's in us and around us. And so we are on a, in a process of being um, sanctified and and helped to live out that faith. And so we're not immune to suffering and to struggle, which means we're not immune to depression. The Bible doesn't use the word depression. Certainly not. Uh, may, maybe some of the the very modern. Uh, interpretations that want to kind of contextualize it. Um, So it doesn't use that language, but it certainly gives expression to the experience of depression. It diagnoses the root cause of the problem, unbelief. It provides a remedy, faith in Christ, a remedy that is different from the remedies that an unbelieving world would prescribe, and a remedy that ultimately is truly and pervasively restorative and curative. That said, God does not promise full restoration right now, as I said earlier. But he does promise his presence in the midst of suffering. In Isaiah 43, God says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Psalm 23, we know that the psalmist says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The presence of God is what gets us through. And as we trust him and engage him with our struggles, we confess and repent and seek his purposes and his will. More and more light will shine into the darkness the Psalms point us to God Himself, to our only lasting and true hope. It's the beautiful thing about the Psalms. When I am feeling down and despairing, I can, and, and, there, and there's often good reason to, you know, kind of to be sad, and we do need to not avoid that, but to allow the sadness. But when I'm only sad, and sad on my own, I can get into a place of self-pity quite quickly, and it gets more and more dark. The beautiful thing about the Psalms is that the Psalmist cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is a statement of faith, and it doesn't deny the reality of the suffering God is not afraid of your suffering and your complaints, your struggle. He wants to hear from you. We have permission, and we see that in the Psalms, to be able to complain, to lament. They're called Psalms of lament. It's not a word we know in modern day. But lament is like there's permission to grieve. There's permission to be sad. There's permission to to be angry when bad things happen to people if if a woman gets raped if you don't get angry something is wrong right we have permission to bring those those feelings to the lord but at the same time as knowing that that you're sitting in darkness when you go with the psalms and the way that the psalms work and the psalmist um, speaks there are confessions of faith lord this is this is not what I want. This is not the way it should be. This is awful. But I don't see it, but I know you are my rock and you're my refuge. I know that you are my salvation and you're my only hope. You are my eternal hope. And so that is what is so special and beautiful about going to the Psalms when you're depressed. Like they they'll resonate with you, but they will also remind you of truth because in moments of despair life is very negative and we believe all sorts of lies from Satan lies about all sorts of things. I'm going to take you back to my two friends. The first friend that I told you about was my husband Stephen. He was born with cystic fibrosis and we were married for 10 and a half years before he died in September 2012. When at the age of eight he asked his mother what happens to him when he dies, she wasn't really able to answer him to his satisfaction and so she sent him off to a Christian youth camp. There he met my other friend, the one who was born out of wedlock. Into to a poor family in a, foreign, uh, in, in a country under foreign rule, he met Jesus. There at that camp, Stephen heard the gospel for the first time, the good news, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for his sins, was raised from the dead, never to die again, and promised to raise Stephen from the dead too. The promise of resurrection life was such good news to Stephen who knew that this side of being with the Lord that he would face suffering his entire life the promise of having his body fully restored having a body that is not broken being illness and pain free and living in the presence of God Stephen learned through much ongoing, relentless suffering, to lean on the presence, the promises, and the power of God. He was always more concerned about those around him than about himself. He did not wallow in self-pity. Life was hard, but he didn't wallow there. He didn't stay there. He looked less at himself and his circumstances and his pain, and he looked more at God's word And at God's perspective on things and on the eternal hope that he had been promised by God. Stephen was always adjusting um, his expectations to fit with the current reality and the limitations that were placed on him by God. When he couldn't play tennis, he started playing table tennis. And when he couldn't do that, he took up a hobby with uh, tropical fish which could be in his bedroom, and enjoy watching them. When he couldn't continue his studies in marine biology at UPE, he was offered the opportunity to study theology at George Woodfield College and become a pastor. When his health didn't allow him to be a pastor, he gratefully accepted the opportunity to be a librarian at the college, and he supported Pastor Mike at KCC, where I currently worship. And when he couldn't eat certain foods, he enjoyed smelling them. And he enjoyed and delighted watching me enjoy whatever it was that I was eating. When he knew his days were numbered, he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus and the hope of resurrection. That he had been holding on to since he was eight or nine years old. And in so doing, he ministered the gospel of hope to all who knew him and who came to his bedside. I remember a a friend in church, um, while I was working, um, some of the ladies and uh, people at church came to sit with Stephen. He needed someone there to, to be at his side, and she didn't know what she was going to say to him or how she could comfort him. And when she got home that evening, her husband said, "'How's Stephen?' And she said, "Actually, I don't know, because actually he ministered to me. <laughs> and And so his focus was not on himself and his suffering. Stevens, he's not special. He's not any different from you and from me. He could have given up the fight, like many of his friends did, and spiraled down into darkness and depression. But here's the secret. He kept doing battle with his mind his emotions and his body. He kept choosing to trust God and his word. He clung to Jesus, even though his circumstances were far from ideal. The remedy for dealing with depression is a deep and intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you will be completely free from it, but there will be more light and less darkness, more hope and less despair than would be the case without a relationship with our Lord and Saviour. Many godly Christians have suffered from depression most of their lives, but Psalm 139 says of the Lord the darkness is not dark to you. How about you? I want to extend an invitation to you. Depression is exhausting. It can make you weary. Will you heed this invitation from Jesus in Matthew chapter 11? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is a book on the table uh, at the back that CBD have called Gentle and Lowly. It's based on the scripture. It's worth meditating on. Do read that book. It's such an encouragement. But there's also promises that Jesus makes to you. Sure and certain promises. They are promises of resurrection and promises that you are not alone. John chapter 6, verse 40: For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And in Hebrews 13:5, which is also a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 31, 6, and behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. God's presence is there, even if it's in the middle of the night and you feel completely alone. You are never alone if you have the Spirit of God in you through faith and trust in Christ. And then hope. This world is not all there is. This suffering is making you more like Christ and preparing you for a future glory. It is not pointless suffering. Romans chapter eight, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And further on in Romans it says, And we do and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And and the good thing what God is working. Is not your suffering. Your suffering is not the good thing. Here's the good thing. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That is the good thing, that he might be the firstborn among many many brothers and sisters. My question to you is, do you know Jesus? Can you call him friend? And if the answer to that is no, please speak to somebody here afterwards. Don't leave without talking to someone to get to know this this Jesus who can bring light into the dark places. Don't suffer in silence. What goes up must come down. It doesn't always uh, seem to uh, gel that what goes down must come up, right? If depression is the down, well, let me give you something of a way to come up. God is growing us in character. He is working in us courage, endurance, perseverance, Christlikeness. I invite you to replace the doubt with faith. Instead of hopelessness, move towards hope and the hope of the gospel. Do not isolate yourself. Do not believe the lie that you are alone or that you have to be alone or that other people don't care. Replace replace the distance with love. Draw near to the God who is love. Receive his gift of love. Love him and love others. I want to invite you to engage God with your depression. I'm going to give you a handout. It'll it'll be put on your tables during our coffee break. And you may be thinking, well, you didn't give me too much to get out (laughs) of my depression. Like all good biblical counselors, not that I'm necessarily good, because Jesus said none of us are good. Um, But I love homework. (laughs) And I want to give you something solid to take back with you. And so you will get a little handout that will help you to dig a little bit deeper into God's word and into your own hearts and minds to unpack your particular struggle with depression. And so there are questions that will help you to describe your depression, to identify some of the contributing factors, to examine and evaluate the heart of depression and for you specifically and then there's a section which is, which is the bigger portion of the page that is about acting in response to depression. And there are quite a few guidelines there, things to think about, things to do, places to go in the Psalms. Um, and, yeah, so, so just making it a little bit more concrete as well. It is a process, and it is so difficult in a very short of space of time to share with you what I would love to share with you because if you go to the book table at the back you will see that there are volumes that have been written on the subject and there is so much more to it Um, but we will have a chance as well um, to chat some more uh, after the coffee break. Um, The the book table at the back are offering a 10% discount on any books that you purchase today. Um, Michael, do you... Want to come back up? I think that covers it.
1: Thank you, Jane. Wasn't answered in as much detail as you would have liked, Jane. Are you willing to be here for a few minutes afterwards? Please feel free to to approach Jane afterwards. I'm going to start with what is quite a common question, Jane. How would you define depression? You asked us to. How do you define it? What are the root
0: causes? <laughs> you want me to give the talk again? <laughs> Um, yeah, defining de- so depression is much more than sorrow. It's not just sorrow. And there is a scale. Um, there's degrees of it. Uh, the secular world psychology uh, is really helpful with description, uh, with examining a person's experience and coming up with kind of what are the symptoms, what, what is manifesting, what is being seen. And being able to to then kind of categorise or, or diagnose depression. So, in terms of the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is kind of like the um, psychologists and psychiatrists' bible, if you can call it, if I can call it that, <laughs> that they use, um, there, there are quite a few criteria. There are five <coughs> five criteria that, that need to be present during a two-week period, um, the same two-week period, and they must have more than five of these symptoms, at least one of which is, uh, the first is a depressive mood all the time, and the other is minimal interest or pleasure in activities most of the time. So at least one of those two have to be present. Um, And then there's some others that they list here of which need at least five of them. And so a decrease in bodily activity, slowing down of thinking, um, significant fluctuation in weight, either weight loss or gain, almost every day experiencing fatigue or lack of energy, constantly feeling guilty or worthless, a lack of focus in your thoughts and a lack of concentration and or suicidal thoughts. Uh, So there's a lot of those have to be present for to be diagnosed as as clinical depression. Um, And those symptoms must cause a person, what they say, clinical harm or distress in social, vocational, and other areas of life. In other words, it impacts the whole of your life and your ability to function. And also that they can't be... um, caused by the misuse of drugs or another medical issue. And so it is important to to consider that there may be things like um, thyroid... So I'm not a doctor. Let me just put that disclaimer here. I know nothing about medicine. I think there's at least one person here who is medically trained, and probably more than one. So I'm not a doctor. Um, But I do know that there are some conditions... that that will affect your physiology and will present with uh, symptoms of depression. Um, uh, I think thyroidism is one of them, hyper or uh, hypothyroidism is one of them. So it is important, uh, if you have been struggling for a long time, to get a physical check, because like I said, we're physically made uh, as well, and so it is possible that there's an aspect that is um, physiologically oriented that's causing it. Um, so that is how how clinical depression would be uh, described but i would say that all of us can relate to the darkness of depression on and some and in some measure so when stephen died the first year of, of after his death like i was just constantly sad and even when i was laughing there was this undercurrent it's like there's this deep undercurrent of sadness and given that he had died that would be normal um, and and that kind of, the light only started to shine a bit in the second year, and the third year things were a lot better, and then you kind of tumble down again a bit as different triggers happen um, that kind of stir up your grief again. So it's more than sorrow um, in terms of defining it, but it's... Um, but we can all relate to it in some measure at some point in our lives. But, but I can honestly say that I have not experienced uh, depression in the way that one of my family members has who suffered for 30 years. Um, I've, I've seen it from the outside, but I have not experienced that. Root cause? Hmm? Did
1: you speak to root
0: cause? Um, yeah, so, so root, root cause, so, so what I'm suggesting in my talk is that at the deepest level we're living in a broken fallen world so that so and and that brokenness has to do with our relationship with God so at its deepest level it's a consequence of living in a fallen and broken world but that doesn't mean that I, and I don't want to be simplistic that that may not be the The only thing at play, right? because because you've got to get into the details of life. so so all those things that happen to you impact you. They are a big part of of um, your depression, could be a big part of your depression, but they're not necessarily or they they're not necessarily causal because we are complex, we're extremely complex. God has made us, I mean, our bodies are phenomenal. And um, you know, we kind of physiological, spiritual, emotional. We have, like I said earlier, we're interpreting things. And so, if my view on the world and on myself um, is is completely often out of sync, then it's a problem. Let me let me give the the example of anxiety, for for instance, because that's one thing that I can relate to more than depression. So many of you probably probably say, gosh, Jane, you're crazy if you say this now, but I used to be petrified of people, absolutely petrified of people. If you told me 30 years ago that I would be speaking here today, I would have said you're out of your mind. Even with people that I considered friends, when I organized a party for myself, a birthday party, invited some of my friends to go and sit up on Signal Hill, I wanted to run away. I wanted that engagement, but I wanted to run away. And and the way in which I have been able to, to deal with and reduce and conquer my anxiety but still comes up from time to time, but the way in which I've had to deal with that is to realize that, that when I'm anxious, my attention is on me. It's not on someone else, and it's definitely not on God. And so for me to be here today in a state of peace and confidence... I have scripture (laughs) that has encouraged me. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That's the only reason I can be here and speak to you with peace is because my mind is not on me. It's on serving you. Um, Yeah, so, and and I think the same goes for depression. Depression. The more you sink down into that pit of despair, the more lies you are going to believe, the more negative you're going to become, and unless you can look up and out, you're not going to be able to, um, yeah, respond. So, so I would say that that a big part of the cause is what goes on up here, and in here, a very big part, not the only, and 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 you also don't want to kind of just. Hone in on one cause because so much is a part of it. So much we we live lives full of experiences and and suffering and things coming at us all the time every day. Thanks, Jane. If it's not
1: ourselves that are struggling with depression or any other mental health issue, or uh, yeah, it's our family members or our friends. How would you encourage us to serve them, help them in that?
0: It's not an easy question to answer. And I think one of the things as well, being a a counsellor, is is I'm always wanting to know detail. (laughs) Like, giving you an answer here, it it should probably be 30 different answers if there are 30 people asking that question in one sense. I think one of the really important things to do is is to help um, the person see that they need outside help and to be speaking to somebody, whoever that might be. If they're a person who does not know Christ and doesn't want to know Christ, it's better then to at least have them see, uh, you know, some other counsellor to get some help. If if they're not interested in seeing a a psychologist or a, you know, counsellor, just walking alongside them and being with them in that um, kind of struggle uh, it's really hard. I can tell you it's really hard. In order to do that, you're going to have to have sure and certain hope because, because when somebody comes with all the negativity and the lies and the struggle, it's easy for you as a person walking alongside them to go down into the pit. Um, and especially if you're a person who's kind of upbeat and happy, right? You're going to want to fix them. It's not always something you can fix. In fact, it probably isn't. And trying to fix somebody makes it worse. Um, what you want to do is just say that I'm here, I'm walking alongside you if I need something. Uh, you know, it, It's very difficult to say. Ultimately, you would like to give them the, the true and certain hope um, of the gospel. But if they're nowhere near there, it's not going to be easy to go there straight off necessarily. Pray for them. What I can say is is prayer is one of the most wonderful, powerful things. God is is personal. He's relational. How do we relate to him? We've got to talk to him. Um, And you can encourage the person to talk to God. If they don't want to talk to anybody else, try it. You know, just talk to God. Talk to somebody. Talk to him. Um, But I can say in this week, I've had two people tell me who've who've struggled with depression that I was counseling, that the way out that they've had a bit of a breakthrough has been through being on their knees and praying and having other people pray for them. And that's the other encouragement, you know, that we know that the Holy Spirit is groaning with groanings too deep. He too is interceding for us and the Lord Jesus Christ is interceding for us. It's hard. It's hard. It's a very difficult question to answer. Well, thank you.
1: I'm gonna ask you a couple questions now. Uh, you're a biblical counsellor. Yeah. What are the benefits from that? What would you say is a reason to go for biblical counselling? Mm-hmm. Is biblical counselling at odds or against secular ways of dealing with mental health disorders? Um, and even if you go through biblical counselling, does that mean that you need to give up an antidepressant or you would still continue with that throughout the rest of your life? What what does that mean?
0: So if somebody came to me and they were on antidepressants, I'm not a doctor, I'm not going to tell them to stop their medication. Um, What I would say is that that medication is not going to deal with all of this complexity of our interpretations, our hearts, and what's going on, and the, you know, kind of the living in a fallen, broken world, your interpretations. It can't do that. Because I'm not a doctor, I'm not going to tell you to come off them. I am going to say, though, um, that there are plenty of articles, and there's actually a book at the back there that even just challenges um, genetics, you know, the, the genetic theories, uh, and it's it's by somebody in the medical field. And I've got other articles that, that sort of say that um, there is no proof, there's no actual test that they can do to say that you have a chemical imbalance. And if there's a doctor who wants to chat to me afterwards and challenge me on that, please do. If I'm wrong, correct me. It's a theory Um, And just because the medication reduces some of the symptoms doesn't mean that it's necessarily a a chemical imbalance One of the one of the problems with taking medication when we numb pain We then don't Do the other stuff we need to do? so I know when I've sprained my ankle (laughs) If I take a painkiller, I am not going to take as good care of that ankle and get the physiotherapy that I need to break down the muscles to get it to heal properly. Um, And so medication can numb things out or relieve some symptoms and you think, okay, I'm fine. If you come off the medication, you're not fine. You're, You're back there and you think, okay, well, the medication was the cure and it's not necessarily the case. Now, it could be to some extent, in some, insta- in, in some instances, but for the most part, it's probably not. So, my, my recommendation is if you're on medication, be in counseling of some sort, whether it's in your church with your pastor, pastoral counseling, or whether it's a, a secular counselor, a, a psychologist, whatever, spe- or a friend, speak. Silence is your worst enemy. Speak to somebody. Biblical counseling is not at odds per se with other forms of counseling. About 70 to 80% of the healing that comes from counseling or the growth or the help that comes from counseling is just by virtue of the fact that you're speaking to somebody who's prepared to listen to you. That is the first 70 to 80% of of the healing process. What what biblical counseling adds, on top of any other form of counseling, or any other kind of care, is that it brings God into the picture. It's that special revelation, and and it and other forms of counseling. I was involved in a, in an organization with secular counseling for many for many years, uh, before I came to Christ, and I was helped in terms of self knowledge, and even through that kind of realized, you know that. Through that, I actually acknowledged that I was angry with God. Um, so it's, it, can, it can help you, but there's a limit to the help that can be given. Because the interpretations that do not include God are going to make it about self, self esteem, self worth. Um, find yourself, you know, build up your own identity. It's not going to say that you need to find your identity in Christ and that there, is a, that there is a hope that your worst fear, which for most of us, the deepest and worst fear is the fear of death. I mean, that's, that's what was in the garden, right? Jesus, uh, God said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if in the day that you do, you will surely die. There aren't answers for dealing with that. Uh, if you don't have God in the picture. And so there is something that biblical counseling can add and and provide a hope that is beyond the hope that, that is in this world. Techniques and skills. I often have people coming to me saying, you know, what must I do? What technique? You know, give me some techniques. They'll help. They'll re- they like the medication. They will reduce some symptoms. They will give you some sense of control and like I'm fixing things and it's getting better. But you're still going to need to go that extra step of the relationship with Christ um, that is going to offer a hope that, that nothing else in this world will.
1: As we wrap up, Jane, can we overcome depression? Is there something that we can? Uh, is there something that we can overcome?
0: It's possible, with God all things are possible, he opened the eyes of the blind, he made the lame walk, but it's also possible that like with uh, Paul, he had a thorn in the flesh that he had to carry all his life. I definitely think that there is hope that you can experience more light and less darkness, There's definitely hope for that. But we continue to live in a fallen, broken world, and life will keep coming at you. Difficulties will be different, but also we have a God who works in and through suffering. We're invited into the sufferings of Christ. And if our goal is to escape pain and suffering, we're going to be disappointed and frustrated. I think we need to look at more walking through it. In terms of grief, I do a lot of work with grief. It's not about overcoming it or avoiding it, finding ways around it. You have to go through it, and it's in the going through it that you get to experience the nearness of God. For those of you who know Scripture and who know the story of Job... He lost everything. He lost people, he lost wealth, he lost animals, he lost servants. Even his wife wanted him to turn against God. She said, curse God and die. She tempted him to turn his back on God. He even lost his health. Like, that is really hard. The only thing that Satan could not take from him was his life. Job asked question after question after question of God. And God came back with questions for Job that humbled him. And at the end of those, I think it's 42 chapters if I'm not mistaken, at the end he says, I had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I can tell you that in the darkest, hardest moments of Stephen's suffering and death, I have never felt closer to God. There is a gift to be found in depression. There is a gift to be found in grief. In terms of grief, the scriptures don't say gladden those who mourn. It says mourn with those who mourn. Walk alongside each other. Encourage, build up. And if you set your expectations on a complete cure and it doesn't come, you're going to be disappointed and have another reason to be depressed. Remember I said Stephen kept adjusting his expectations to the reality which God had allowed him to be in. So it's possible, but it's not certain. But what is certain is that when we go to be with Christ, when and when Christ returns, then I can promise you, you will not know depression. Because he will wipe away every tear and remove all sadness. Thanks, Jane. Well, on that note,
1: I think we'll end the time of question and answer. And just, I think let's just clap and thank Jane.